morning. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 19. Last time we read up to verse 20 of 19, and from chapter 18 also, about Apollos. We get our first introduction to him, who is from Egypt, um, learned in the scriptures. The Bible says he was an eloquent speaker, persuasive and speaking, or sometimes that word can be translated showing clear and forceful expression. But either way, he was powerful in the scriptures. He came to Ephesus. He knew about the faith. He knew about the way of the Lord. He taught rightly about Jesus, the scripture says. But he was missing some things. He needed additional teaching. And we are told that Aquila and Priscilla helped him to fill in some of the holes in his understanding. And if you remember, we talked about that. It's totally appropriate for men and women to encourage one another in private settings and even to fill in holes in knowledge. Totally appropriate. And Apollos wanted to leave Ephesus and go to Corinth, and they encouraged him to do so and wrote him a letter of recommendation. Welcome him. We know him. And so when he arrives, the scripture says that he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. So he's actually building upon what Paul had done there before when he goes to Corinth. Verse um, 1 through 10 of chapter 19, Paul comes back to Ephesus and met believers there that had not heard of the baptism of Jesus either. And they were in need of hearing the gospel more clearly, more accurately. They knew about repentance. Remember, Paul asked them, what were you baptized in? They said, in the baptism of John, which is a baptism of repentance. Um, so after they hear about this more, the Bible says they are baptized in the name of Jesus. They understand more clearly what's going on. They receive the Spirit, show signs of having received the Spirit. And the Bible says that 12 men are saved in this instance. Paul stays there this time for three months. And actually, upon arriving in Ephesus, he just missed Apollos, who had been there. So Apollos leaves Ephesus, goes to Corinth. Paul, who's been to both those places before, goes to Ephesus after Apollos has just left. So it's interesting. Is they're, they're building upon the, each other's teaching. 
and, and helping to build up the church. Paul's there three months, and the text says some would not listen to him because they became stubborn. They would not listen. This is not the good form of being stubborn. Remember we talked about that? It's not usually a thing you use as a compliment. He's very stubborn in his faith. We wouldn't usually say that as a compliment. Even though it could be, you know, not willing to move off of what they know to be true. could be used in a good way, I suppose. And Paul starts teaching. He leaves the synagogue because they're so stubborn and goes to the hall of Tyrannus. And the Bible says that two more years he continued that way. And then finally, if you remember, we talked about these miracles that had been happening Verse 11 of 19, God was doing extraordinary miracles. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, extraordinary uh, miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. This is interesting, right? It, it, it doesn't seem possible, but... God's power was with him. Very much so. Um, And so some either demon-possessed people or definitely demon-influenced people decided they were going to use this same power themselves. We can do it too. We'll We'll just do it in the same name that he's using. But the problem is, is they don't have the same faith that he has. And God's not with them. We see in verse 15, the evil spirit answered, Jesus, I know, Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was extolled. And then, finally, the end there is, how do we know these magicians' uh, repentance is true? They bring all of their magic books, mass repentance from the magicians. They bring all their magic books and put them in a pile and burn them. We didn't talk about this um, the, the 50,000 pieces of silver in today's money, that would, be, that would be $6 million worth of magic books. So it's not a small amount of money, which is, which is actually um, going to be very relevant to today's discussion. Money is often a hindrance in the scriptures and in our experience to people coming to know God, to people desiring God more than anything else, money is often a stumbling block. Right? It's the root of all kinds of evil. Lots of evil. But they're not worried about it. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value in today's money, six million dollars. Verse 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I mean, there's great power moving through Paul. 
by God, right? The gospel wins over the demonic power of the magicians. Not only do they believe in God, they destroy the stumbling blocks as well. Well, let's look to today's text. We'll read through verse 20, excuse me, chapter 20, verse 1. 21 of 19 through verse 1 of chapter 20. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said to them, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing." and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And so the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go into the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the um, Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess, If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Verse 1, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, 
he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. Amen. Verse 21, Paul is almost ready to go on from Ephesus and back to Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and on to the church in Corinth, in Achaia, and then back to Jerusalem for a time. And then he said, I want to go to Rome. And scholars believe that he sent this letter, well, excuse me, that the letter of 1 Corinthians, what we call 1 Corinthians, was actually given to Timothy and Erastus at that time. When he sent them ahead, he gave them the letter. He had writ, wrote it from Ephesus, gave it to them, and they took it with them and eventually delivered it. And if you read 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, this is, this is speaking after they received the letter, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. And Paul did stay until Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover. So, late spring... And he says he intends to maybe stay the winter with the Corinthians. So let's go to 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. So what's the issue here? What's this disturbance? There's, there's been such a wide door for effective ministry in Ephesus a giant wide door for effective ministry that many are turning away from idols and demon worship completely and they're not buying, this is a side effect, they're not buying idols anymore. They're not buying silver temples. They're not buying altars to have at their homes. And the silversmiths and the workers are getting concerned about the loss of business. Now you see this, the magicians previously, they burned their books. They're not worried about the money. But these silversmiths, they are definitely worried about the money. And they say, we've got we've to shut this down before it gets worse. I mean, the interest in the worship of Artemis at Ephesus, if Paul continues like this, perhaps the temple itself will lose significance and be, quote, counted as nothing. I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. Maybe something similar to religious tourism back in the day. This temple is drawing people in from all around because they want to see the beauty of it. And he's saying, what would happen if the temple itself began to be counted as nothing? I'm not sure if it, it seems to be a commerce issue that he's referring to, not legitimate concern for that goddess, but they get worked up into a riot 
And I listened to something very interesting recently that I want to share some of it with you. Um, this is from a, a podcast I listened to called The Briefing. Um, Albert Moeller, president of Southern Theological Seminary, does it. And th- this particular one was from November 1st, the day after this ru- this crowd thing happened in Korea where the, the people were... S- doing something for celebrating Halloween and they ended up trampling each other and there was like a panic, mass panic in the crowd and a lot of people were killed, 100, maybe 150 I think and many more injured. And he was talking about the minds of crowds and there's been studies on this and it's very interesting and also um, disturbing a man named Gustave Le Bon wrote a book on, called The Crowd, A Study of the Popular Mind. And this is Moeller talking about Le Bon's book. He says, he came up with a very interesting analysis. He said that when you think about the human mind, you need to think also about human minds. You have one person talking to another person. You have one mind talking to another mind. Interesting, rational things can happen. You add a third mind and a fourth mind and a fifth mind, and you can still have something of a conversation. You add up thousands of minds, and and here's Gustav's point. At that point, the crowd, oddly enough, seems to take on, you've heard this phrase before, a mind of its own. And this is where the expression comes from. The crowd took on a mind of its own. And when crowds gathered, sometimes it was absolutely explosive. We've seen this happen many times in our day on the news or in person. And this is still um, Moeller speaking. Even when it doesn't turn out violent, it often turns weird. And even people leaving the experience of having been in the crowd wondered exactly, why did I cheer when everyone else was cheering? Why exactly did I feel angry when the crowd felt angry? I didn't even know exactly what they were angry about. And something else is noted, still Mueller speaking, by those who are watching the crowds. In the context of the crowds, individuals tend not only to lose their identity. A crowd includes just a gathering of anonymous people. Who knows with whom you are gathering in this massive crowd? But it's also true that the crowd begins to lose inhibitions. The situation, the context of being crowded together with other human beings means that you're not so polite as you would be in a smaller context. You're not so generous as you might be in a smaller context. You're not even thinking so clearly as you might in a smaller, less crowded context. You get into the crowd, you may actually get so confused, you do not operate on the basis of the same reason, rationality, even moral instincts by which you would operate in any other context. The crowd really turns out to be an extraordinarily dangerous reality. And we see governments that do things like this to, they say, you don't have the permission to gather Disperse, disperse, because they know what's going to happen. As the crowd gets bigger and bigger, things will happen that the crowd did not intend to do, usually. It 
quote, it got out of control so quickly. And it was a fascinating um, podcast, if you like that kind of thing. That was the podcast from November 1st. He also talked about Nazi Germany did this on purpose, would gather large crowds on purpose, 150,000, 200,000 people on purpose, knowing that they stir each other up into a frenzy and do things that they wouldn't otherwise agree to do. Okay, is this what's happening in Ephesus? It sure seems like it. Verse 32, in confusion, most of them did not know why they had come together. There's a massive riot going on in the town, right? Somebody tries to come forward to talk some sense into them, and they shout at him for two hours straight. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. A lot of them not even knowing why they were there in the first place still continued to shout for two hours straight. It's very interesting. And, you know, the, the human mind as an individual has flaws and is not, right? We can't trust our ability to reason. We should try. But even though you try, you should also know I, I could definitely be wrong. My reasoning could be flawed. My ability to think about this clearly might be flawed. Okay, now the presence of a crowd. What's going to happen? We have all those flawed minds all in a big crowd together. This is why, in general, listen, I'm not, this is not a command. Obviously, I can't command you. But if you ask me, should Christians gather in large crowds to protest? I would say, don't go. Stay home. And I'm, I know that you, some of you could reason to me a good argument that protests sometimes are needed. I, I will concede the point. I'm not going. I see only danger and, and potential for mass heartache. But I know that sometimes powerful entities won't listen unless there's a mass protest. I, I understand. So we're not sure who Alexander is there, verse 33. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. Was he going to say, I hope y'all aren't associating us with these Christians. We're Jews. We're not a part of this. Or was he going to actually make a defense for what the Christians were doing, like in a positive way? Not really sure exactly. But they're like, you're a Jew. You're, you're the same. And they just shout him down for two hours. Um, verse 35 through 40, the town clerk, an actual, a pretty powerful position actually, um, is able to talk some sense into them. And no doubt God is at work in this situation, right? Um, but this town clerk reasons with them. And he's like, we can't just gather together and act like this. There are courts that handle this kind of thing. We, we can't just gather together. Don't you know this is illegal? The Romans will put us down. 
Right? That's what we read in verse 40. We really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. He's like, Don't, do y'all realize how dangerous y'all are in right now? Yeah, you're going to lose your business. Don't make Rome mad. That's worse than if you lose some sales in idol creation. And the town clerk is able to send them away. And then verse 1 of chapter 20, Paul gives them some encouragement, says his goodbye, and he's, he's off for Macedonia. <clears throat> I know we've said this before, but thanks be to God for our brother Luke and that God used him. And we've had this account preserved for us. The whole book of Acts. There's a lot we wouldn't know if we didn't have it. And in this case, we know because we have it. And if you think about God showing Paul in a dream that he was going to protect them, it seems like that's carried over even though he's left and come back to Ephesus. This is, a, this is at least for the time being, Right, Paul wanted to go into the crowd and his friends are like, don't go. This is very explosive. Do you want to get killed? Don't go. But we're not sure if he would have gone. Would anything have happened? We don't know. We don't know. But listen, as we teach and preach and work with people in our day, be bold. Go out in boldness, in wisdom. Take the good news to the world. Pray for God's people who are working in dangerous lands. This type of thing that we read about here, I mean, it happens occasionally in the United States, but in other countries it happens all the time. People get very upset. This happened in Brother Chang's house. There was a massive idol next door to him, and he wanted to buy that land. The owner wanted to sell it to him. And as soon as the title was finished, he was going to destroy that idol and clear it out of there. And the townspeople found out that this was all going to happen, and there was a small riot in front of his house. Like 50 people, 60 people, threatening him, all sorts of stuff. It it happens. We need to pray for those people that God would help them, that God would be glorified even in the midst of chaos. We need to pray for love and the heart of His people towards their adversaries. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Um, We thank You that um, for the most part in our society, that people are calm. Um, but we know, Lord, that things can um, get out of control quickly. We pray that you'd help us. Help us as a church, help us as believers, that we would think rightly, that our desire would be l- love and not revenge. Um, that we would pray for um, our adversaries. 
And Father, we know that you are um, the avenger. You'll repay what needs to be repaid. There's no need for us to take the matters into our hands. Bless us now the rest of our time. Help us as we have lunch and fellowship and, and then our afternoon study. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.